The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your for your presence, your goodness and love that you've invited us in. And we acknowledge that in you is everything that we hope for, every provision, protection, every necessity, and the abundance of life is found in you. And we are so grateful that you have poured yourself out to us in such intimate ways. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would find us doing the same for you, that, uh, that we would seek you with all of our heart, that we would draw near, that we would abide and remain, that we would stay close um, and uh, that you administer to these many needs that we've expressed in these moments for sweet Denise and Jerry and Fred and Sheba and mom and, and uh, many others for comfort for families that have lost loved ones in recent days, for those that are just seeking you for provision, for protection, for guidance and direction. Lord, I, I, I just pray that you would, you would show yourself as you always do, faithful, kind, good and gentle. Help us to wait uh, with anticipation, trusting you for the good gifts that you've promised and the faithfulness that you have demonstrated. Uh, Father, we thank you for just the wonderful ways that you minister to us, for Lori's grandmother, for Miss Esther, for Miss Catherine, for sweet Denise, uh, Father, for Fred, and for the wonderful things that you've done in his life, in John's life. Pray for Janice and her family. Uh, Pray that you would just minister to all these wonderful needs. And uh, Father, we know you're doing great things in them. Help us to trust you. Increase our faith, Lord. Help us to to uh, to put our hope and confidence in you so that we can truly live in a, in a non-anxious, worrisome posture, in a restful place, you know, um, knowing that you are, are good and kind and faithful and true. We thank you, Father, for all the wonderful things you do. Please seed our hearts with truth in this moment. Open our eyes to the to the pride, uh, the lack of humility that's in our lives, knowing that you oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. And uh, we long to be in a grace-filled uh, posture, knowing that humility is, is a catalyst of that. We, we long to exemplify your character in all that we do. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, without further ado, let's jump in. Um, we are... In Luke chapter 14, uh, we're looking at the first 11 verses uh, because we've just tackled um, Jesus healing on the Sabbath in chapter 13. And there's another occasion here in the first six verses of chapter 14, um, which covers the same. You know, Jesus was um, so um, adamant about uh, healing on the Sabbath specifically on the Sabbath in order to confront the hypocrisy that the traditions of the elders had introduced to the nation of Israel. Uh, and they totally missed the mark. Isn't it amazing that Jesus shows up on the planet and rather than worship him, he, we murder him, right? Like rather than, 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 than do what the, the wise men came to do, we, you know, we find these folks in such an arrogant posture that they're just finding ways to seek his demise and to, and to point a finger at and be critical. Um, and uh, I, I can't imagine how hard that was for Jesus coming to, to show us the Father, to, to be the one that, that, uh, that exemplified the, the very intentions of the old covenant and not only not to, to abolish it, but to fulfill it and to model it for us. And in, in the context in which he came, which was not a surprise to him at all, you know, do you know that Jesus knew everything that he would face before he came and he came anyway? Do you know that one of the most heartwarming elements in that conversation is this, is that Jesus knows you from start to finish, alpha to omega. He knows you from beginning to end. He knows the things that you've done, will do, have done, and that did not dissuade him from racing to a cross to, to rescue you. 
that that's how much he loves you, that he was demonstrated the Father's love while we were still yet in a rebellious spot, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't when we were redeemable, you know, when we were showing merit. It was when we were like so rebellious, so at odds with him that he raced in knowing that we were his, we were, we were, he was our only hope. And he knew that. And he knew all of this. Have you ever been in a context that was, you know, so dark, so evil, so like every, so filled with pride and there, you know, um, I don't think we can even relate to like, here's the perfect one, Emmanuel, God with us. And he comes into such a sin sick environment. And rather than being, being judgmental and critical, he said, I did not come to, to judge, but to save, right? John three, like he comes with compassion and empathy, but yet he calls out sin. He, he shine, he puts a mirror in front of uh, hearts that are rebellious and broken and reveals their, their darkness. And, um, and the very thing that is causing them separation. And, but all along, he's willing to be the answer. He's willing to bridge the gap. He's willing to die in their stead. He's willing to, to, to rescue us back to the Father. It's amazing to me. Like, I, you know, as I read this passage, would you do me a favor? Put yourself in, in, in the room. Would you, would you put yourself in the room? And in order for you to do that, I'm going to help you for a moment. So this, this particular moment, synagogue had happened that Friday night. And, and much like, you know, you might invite someone to go to lunch after church and there'd be a, a gathering of folks that would gather. That's, that's kind of what's happening here. The ruler of the Pharisees have, has invited Jesus to his house with poor motive. Um, pure, you know, it wasn't like, oh, come, come share truth with us. Come bless us with your presence. You know, there, there's, there's evil intention, but he invites him along with many others. And by the way, in this culture, an invitation would be given well in advance and because it would need to be received because the, the preparation was, was very extent. I mean, animals had to be prepared, all, all of that. And so they knew who was coming in advance. And, and so what they would do is they would often sit the chairs in a U-shape um, form and the table would be in the middle of them and the, whoever the host or the guest of honor would sit right at, at the middle of the U-shape. And based on your relationship or your sense of honor or, or status in, in society or in their perception, you would sit closer or further. Does that make sense? And, um, and, and Jesus is, 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 is bothered by the way that they, they choose their, their seat, right? Because it, 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 do you think our actions depict our hearts? Do you think that our actions kind of really kind of depict our character or the lack of at times? And Jesus, you know, in, and I believe that as only he could do, he depicts this with love, with, with a desire for repentance. You know, that, that, there's a difference. Criticism just wants to point out your flaw. But, but here, you know, Jesus always seems to want to rescue you from it. That's his intention, right? He, want, he wants to heal you. But in order to heal you, you need to know you're sick. And that's his heart. That's his intention, and uh, so that we might repent and we might acknowledge. And um, can, can we possibly be blind to our sin? Can we be blind to our faults and, uh, and uh, indiscretions? And, and Jesus is in his mercy is, is revealing those things so that he might heal us. So put yourself in the room. Dinner is being served. He's coming into the house of, a, of a, the ruler of the Pharisees by invitation, uh, poor motivation, and he's there's a there's a there's a, a vast caste like social um, system even within the room. There's a guy with dropsy, and I'll just explain this now. Um, we have doctors in the midst, so um, um, I've, I've kind of make sure I, I do my homework. Um, so dropsy is probably not something we use often in medical terms, but we do use the word edema, 
Um, and the, the culprit is just inflammation, um, you know, fluid retention. And, it, and somehow they, they referred to that as dropsy. And, uh, but it would have adverse, mom's been struggling with this recently at the hospital. Um, it causes, uh, you know, all kinds of things. So um, let me read the text. We'll get into our portion here. And I believe that we've got a lot to glean here. So we open in Luke 14, verses 1 through 11. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him, let's don't miss that detail, who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. I, I guess they had learned their lesson along the way. Then he took, then, then he took him, the man with dropsy, um, and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. So we just did a piece on this earlier. And so that's why I moved to the next section here. But, you know, for Jesus to address something seven times and, and intentionally heal on the Sabbath, to address the fact that, you know, that he's the Lord of the Sabbath and, a, and Sabbath, if Sabbath is about anything, it's about healing. They had actually made compassion illegal on the Sabbath, if you think about it, you know, and, and, there, and Jesus was basically saying, you have, you have more concern about your animals than you do people, your family in this case, than you do others. And, and it ought not be the case because really the Sabbath rest is really pointing to the ultimate rest that I'm purchasing for you. I am your Sabbath rest. I am your healer. So Sabbath is really all about healing. And he addressed that over and over and over again because it was hypocrisy. It was contrary to the intention for which Sabbath, Sabbath was supposed to be a day of healing. Think about it. How do we, how do we, we're healed by being in his presence, by spending time with him. And, 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 and that's the whole purpose of, of Sabbath was to be close to him, to spend time with him. And they had turned it into a bunch of, you, you, you can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do that. Rather than what it was intended to be is come close and experience the healing, the love, the power, the life. And then ultimately Sabbath was, realized when Jesus purchased us back to the Father to, to, to rest himself, to our Prince of Peace, you know, ushered us into the Father's presence. And so in that context, this is a parable that Jesus says to the ones that had been invited. That's specifically the audience. So verse 7 picks up. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when the host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. And here's the point. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, so one of the things that I enjoy doing is once I feel like I've come to really take in the text and pray it through and study and meditate on it. I, I enjoy coming up with a title and, um, and I love to do something that's creative, play on words and those type of things. So right from the start, you know, the, 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 the title that came to mind was selecting your seat, right? And how do we do that? How do we do that in life? But then when you really look at that, what Jesus is trying to exemplify and teach here. It's, this is the title that I gave this morning, 
sit down. And you see what I'm saying? Like sit down. Like it's a humble disposition. It's, it's a choice. And my hope in this, one of the things that Jesus as a master teacher did is he tied every principle he taught to, to very basic, simple elements of life. Does that make sense? So that when we did them, we were reminded of those biblical principles. And my, my hope today is that what we learned together here this morning, that every time you go to sit down, you're reminded of the principle of humility, right? And because we sit down a lot, right? And so my hope is that every time we sit down, that, that we're truly in a literal way sitting down, like reminding ourselves that, the, you know, Jesus said this, he, he who is rich became poor that we might become rich. In Mark 10, 45, it says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And, and he was being an example to us in that. So this is a, this is a really amazing setting. Um, another thing I want to point out as we look at this, um, let me ask a question first. Think about how you choose your seats in life. Anybody ever booked a plane flight? One of the things you do is you either pay more so you can select a seat if you're on Spirit or Allegiant or whatever. Um, or, you, you know, maybe it's the time when you're boarding. Now you're kind of going, oh, I hope I get the best. I want this. I want an aisle. I want an exit. Oh, yes, I'll help everybody off the aircraft. I just want leg room. Right. Or maybe maybe it's when you walk in a restaurant. You know, are you are you thinking about like what others might need? as far as sitting at any specific table? Or is it, boy, I, I, I really need to sit with my back to the wall just in case I need to see who's coming through the door. You never know, you know. I, I don't know, right? Or or it could be maybe in the area of, and we'll look at this again after what we hear this morning, but like maybe it's finding a parking space at Walmart or Publix or wherever. Like, are you are you considerate of what others are you sitting down or is it really more about you? And, uh, and Jesus kind of addresses this mentality here. And then like he always does, he demonstrates through his life and ministry, everything he teaches when he says, you know, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. He hung on a cross and said, father, forgive them for they know, they know not what they do. And, you know, I think we see an occasion in Jesus's life and ministry where this same thing comes up again. Now, arguably, this is two thirds the way through Jesus's ministry. But let's talk about the, the night of his betrayal. Let's talk about the precipice of his passion. Jesus was in an upper room. Do you remember the scene? It was a dinner. And do you know what the uh, disciples were recently arguing about? three years into Jesus's discipleship and teaching, uh, who's going to be the greatest? That's what they're arguing about. And do you know what, what two of them, and these are two intimate disciples. They come to him and say, hey, um, can we sit at your right and left when you come into your kingdom? And they're thinking this is an earthly deal, right? So they're asking for position. And it's, and it's in the context. And can you imagine, they have no idea what's about to unfold in the next 15 hours. And But Jesus does fully. Now, what's interesting about this, and this setting is, is in John 13. It's well described by John. And John is one of the ones that's asking to sit at his right and left. And they even go as far as to say, but mom, mom was the one that asked, really, you know. Now, I, I want to kind of set the stage here for a moment because it's very, very f- familiar to what Jesus is addressing here in this fa- ruler of the Pharisees' home. So they're, they're into the, the supper. They're on the precipice of the Seder meal and nobody has washed anybody's feet. Now, that's a strange scenario because that's always the responsibility of the host or the, the, the bond servant, the, the lowest servant in the home would, would have that responsibility. 
And so what we have to see here is not one of those disciples is going, is taking the initiative and saying, oh, oh, I mean, three years of Jesus teaching this stuff and modeling all of this. And none of them are humble enough to say, hey, I'll wash everybody's feet. So what does Jesus do? In the midst of a moment where these guys are jockeying for position and fighting for, for, for prestige, Jesus it says this. I love this. Don't miss this. Because this helps us to understand the path to humility. Right? He says, he knew where he came from. Well, first thing it says, he knew who he was. He knew who he was. He knew where he came from. And he knew where he was going. And because he knew those things, it says he took off his outer garment. Like, and part of that was he was shedding his status. Like, you know, Jews were, were known for what they do a lot of, by what they wore. He took off his outer garment. He wrapped a towel around his waist and he filled a bowl with water and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus modeled everything he taught. He lived what he preached. And he begins to wash the... Can you imagine? Like at this point, they have some inclination of who's doing this. And they're probably feeling like... I I, I remember that scene in season two, episode three, where Jesus walks up on their arguments and their frustration and and they're, they're, they're humiliated by their posture and their attitudes. And I can imagine in this moment, they're going, I should have done this. I, I, I mean, maybe I, I should have been the one doing this. But the only one that speaks up is Peter. And Peter's like, there's no way you're washing my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And what he was pointing to was not the bath that probably Peter needed, but the cross and the fact that unless I wash you, you won't be mine. You won't be intimate. You will have no place with me. And um, and so Peter finally says after a discussion about a shower, you know, then all of me, do it all. I want it all. And so, you know, I, I love like, Guys, can we take this in for just a moment? We'll look at it in Philippians 2, but but like God took on skin. He came and became one of us in order to take the burden of not just your sin and mine, but of all humanity's sin and nail it to a cross, knowing the excruciating pain that he would experience, knowing that the, the, the agony he would go through. And he raced to that occasion knowing that it it meant your rescue and mine and ours. And, And he did, like, does that not depict humility? Like God came and died. Like, what did, what did Jesus deserve on this planet? He deserved like glory and honor and praise and, and all of that. And he got, he got the contrast of that. In this moment, you know, I asked myself when I was reading this text, you know, um, it's been amazing to me as we've gone through Luke, how how these these messages have been so like radically relevant, like every single time. It's just like it's like the Lord is just laying these things out within into context that we didn't even know until they presented themselves. And so I was praying about I'm like, well, how does this relate to I couldn't see and it was immediate, like the spirit, you know, don't you have those moments where you pray and it's like the answer just, you know, and it's like, duh, like it's so obvious. How did I not think of that? And it's, but the Lord just reveals that it's humility. What does humility have to do with Christmas? I don't know. How about Jesus being born in Bethlehem and put in a manger and 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 and, and, and born to a couple that is from Nazareth, a place where can any good thing come from? I mean, he, the wise men assumed he was in a palace. They came to Jerusalem looking for the king that had been born. And they had to read the scriptures. Oh, wow, what a novel concept, right? Oh, yeah, it's supposed to be in Bethlehem, right? That five miles south here. And lo and behold, that's where he was born. 
that the bread of life would be born in the house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. But every aspect of his life was humility, humble. And but what's, what's amazing about that is, did, did, did he cease to be God? Was he not Emmanuel, God with us? And what makes that so profound is that God humbled himself to rescue us. And then he said, follow me. You know what he said to the disciples in the upper room when he washed their feet? He said, you see me, your Lord and master? Yeah. You see what I've done? He said, you do likewise. That's what he said. He's, he's called us to be learners and students. He's called us to follow him in this humble posture. You know, the lack of humility keeps us from the homeless shelter. The lack of humility keeps us from moments that, you know, I, let, let, let's just look at the text. Maybe I think it's so important that we put ourselves in the room sometimes, that we, that we really think about what did Jesus feel? Like, what are these people thinking as he's saying this? Like this wouldn't have been dinner conversation at most, right? I mean, this wouldn't have been what you would hear. But but here's what I want to ask you this morning. Jesus always modeled what he preached. Where do you think Jesus sat? You ever thought about that? I guarantee he put himself at the end of the line. I guarantee when he was saying these things that he wasn't sitting next to the host or the the place of honor. He was sitting. Otherwise, it would be hypocrisy, right? And we know that that's not the case. And one of the things that Sharon pointed out this morning that makes perfect sense, when when it says that the, the guy with dropsy was right in front of him, now we know where he is. Why? Because Jewish culture, if you were sick, Right? They made the false assumption like Job's friends did. Oh, well, then you must be, a, you're unclean, you're a sinner. And so it says he was right in front of Jesus. And so, guys, do, do, we, do, we, um, do we intentionally sit down when it comes to moments where we have a choice? And, and guys, can I ask the question, is humility a choice? I think the scriptures answers that question. We'll see it in just a moment. Jesus humbled himself, it says in Philippians 2. Do you know what we're called in James and other, uh, other texts? It says, humble yourselves. And there's promises made. When we humble, do you know that James also says this in chapter four, that God, please hear this. God opposes the proud. He's not benign to the, to the proud. He opposes the proud. You want to be in opposition with God? Walk in pride, walk in arrogance, right? And, and it's not just God. You, you ever, you ever been around someone that's just walking out arrogance and pride? You feel an opposition to them too. But I love what he says next. But God gives grace to the humble. What's the greatest expression of God's grace? The cross. Humility is a catalyst to, to recognizing his lordship, repentance, acknowledging our sin, understanding our desperation to be saved. We have to humble ourselves. And was Jesus humble? Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Right? All right, let's look at some scripture. Best commentary on scripture is scripture. Um, Wisest man that ever lived. I mean, that's by God's declaration. Who was it? Solomon had something to say about this. And it's so incredibly like relevant to this text. In Proverbs 25, 6 and 7, it says this. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence. Um, guys, could, could, does Solomon know anything about someone putting themselves forward in the king's presence? He was a king, right? So like he said, do not put yourself. So he's talking from that perspective, right? Right? 
you know, understanding this moment. He says, do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of, of, the, of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. I mean, that, it's so relevant. I mentioned James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then I think this is the, this is the passage on, on humility. And, you know, when, when Paul was wanting to call the church in the first chapter of Philippians to unity and harmony as a body, he, he says that the catalyst is for unity is humility. And he uses Jesus as the, the most beautiful example. And he's, I'm going to pick up in verse 2 of chapter 2 and listen, in fact, verse 3, and listen to what it says here. Do nothing... Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Can I read that again? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Having the mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And I think it's interesting that, that that's how it declares that. Because we're told elsewhere in, in 1 Corinthians 2 that, we, that through the Holy Spirit, we have the mind of Christ. Like we have the counsel of God. We have the, we have the author of the word living inside of us in order to lead us into all truth and remind us of everything that he said and to guide us into this posture of humility. So like he's, he's being extremely practical here and he's saying like, count others more significant than you. I mean, you have interests, but, but also be concerned about others' interests as well. Having this mind among yourself, which is yours, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This attitude, this mindset, it's not foreign to the saint. It's, it's not foreign to us. This, this, uh, this selfless mentality, this putting others before ourselves. But what, what wars against that? Sure, the enemy, culture, paradigm, right? But, but our biggest enemy is our, is our, is our own flesh, our own nature, that just wants to be first, wants to be recognized, wants to be affirmed. And it's not that God doesn't want those things for us, but he doesn't want us to want those things. He wants us to want him. And then he'll give us those things when, when our goal isn't those things. And so, you know, we see here, it goes on to say this, as Paul uses Jesus as the perfect example, he says, who, speaking of Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to. The, the word that's used here is grasped. But sometimes we don't understand what, what, what Paul's saying there. What he's saying there is he, didn't held, he wasn't holding on to his, his right as God, his, his nobility, his, his, his deity. Because like, if he did, the condescension to humanity would not be possible. The point he's making is, is the fact that he left heaven to come to earth in order to give us heaven, right? The, the, the fact that he left that, that status, that, that position in order to position himself as the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is why when John talks about Jesus, when he sees him in his vision and revelation, he's like the lamb who was slain. Like he... It's, it's this gorgeous contrast of the, the, the Almighty being willing to be sacrificed. Like that's what, God, can you hear me this morning? That's what humility is. Humility isn't, it's, it's not thinking of yourself less, right? Or it's, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, right? Like, I like, what, I like what Alex said this morning. I'll come back to this again, because you're going to want to write this down. Your humility doesn't deny your nobility. 
it's so important that you understand what's being said here. You have been made, you've been given the right to be called children of God. That's what John 1 says. It's not kind of coming from a posture of I'm nothing. I'm de-, you know, it's understanding the, that you are a co-heir with Christ, that you are more than conquerors in him, that, that you, have been, you have been made a child of God, but you're willing to lay that aside as Jesus did in order to serve for the glory of the Father. Does that make sense? So I say it again. Your humility doesn't deny your nobility. It's actually what makes your humility profound. What makes Jesus' humility so profound is that he was the son of God. And that's what he's made you and I. Children of God. Bride. We don't, we don't, that doesn't get forfeited in order to have humility. It actually gets demonstrated through humility. Does that make sense? That's so important. And humility is, it's something we choose but it's meant to become a manifestation of his presence through his Holy Spirit in our life. Like humility is is the obvious choice when we want to do what Jesus does and be his hands and feet. In fact, it it is so essential that you can't do what Jesus wants you to do every single day without it. Does that make sense? What wars against walking the narrow path is wanting you is wanting you to be seen, glorified, acknowledged. And until that doesn't matter to you anymore, I go back to Jesus' statement in John 13. This is what he said. He knew who he was. He knew where he came from. And he knew where he was going. When those things are answered for you, and that's not theory, that's fact, that's who you are, then you don't risk anything when you walk in humility, when you serve others, you're not losing, you're demonstrating the, the gain that's been given. Does that make sense, guys? I, I, this is so huge to the Christian life because our flesh wants recognition. Our flesh wants to be noticed. Our, fr- our flesh wants to be acknowledged. And man, if that's our mission, we'll, we're never going to lose our life so that we might find it. We're never going to see the beauty of Jesus. We're never going to see the wonder of Philippians 2. Like, what? God did what? He, let me read it for you. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held onto or grasped, but emptied himself. Can I say that again? Emptied himself. By taking the form of a, servant being born in the likeness of God by his own design and desire was born in the likeness of men. That is humility. That's look, you're never going to, to serve. I know I've said this, but like you're never going to serve to the degree that God wants you to serve. I mean, I, I think, I, I think um, Mother Teresa got this, right? Understood the the beauty, the value of of self sacrifice because it was never, it wasn't about her anymore. Listen, when your life becomes all about Him, like you, you realize that you've been set free to serve, you've been liberated to joyful obedience. but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Let's not forget who we're talking about here. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, himself. No one forced this agenda on him. He, he designed it. He wrote it in the stars and then and it wasn't just something he walked out. He, this is his desire humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Are you challenged this morning? Is, is your seat selections challenged this morning? You know, our choices in life, do they, not, do they not speak to those around us? The choices that we make. 1 Peter 5, the second part of verse 5 and 6 says this, clothe yourself... It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. 
For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's the second time we've heard that. James was written first. Peter now is, and and do you think that this, maybe the image of the upper room came back to mind as he was writing this? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then verse six says this, humble yourselves, just like Jesus did. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Can I ask, can we just address this proper time moment here for just a moment? It, the verse, the, 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 the section I just read from Philippians ends in verse eight. And it says, you know, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But do you know what verse nine opens up with in Philippians two? It said, but God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. He was exalted to the highest place, right? On the other side of his sacrifice, of his, of his earthly life. Man, that's what God, this is a picture of what God is going to do for us at the end of the day. It's the ultimate statement. Like if we humble ourselves, we'll be exalted. It's a statement, not just about moments, though it is. It's about our whole life and it's, and it's inception and conception and it's, and it's fruition. Like, does that not make sense? Like, so what, what Peter says here is humble yourselves. Like, I think God is so gracious to us that he will actually humble us, you know, as a way of sanctifying us disciplining us if we don't do it for us because it's it's a glorious attribute it, without which I don't know that the others will, will, will represent themselves well. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. I mentioned this earlier, I'll say it again. Humility is not thinking less of yourselves but thinking of yourselves less, right? And like Alex said, your humility doesn't deny your nobility. I'm never going to forget that because that's, that's such, that's the misconception that I have to, I have to lay down my identity in Christ in order to, no, it, your identity in Christ is what makes that, that expression of humility so profound is that you're not giving anything up because that's who you are when the, you know, we sing a song that says, my king died for me. Like, what kind of king does that? That, that, he, that he gave his life. Some thoughts. Those who seek honor for themselves will be disgraced. Jesus explains that honor cannot be taken. It must be given by God. He will not honor those who seek honor to honor themselves. That's what the text, that's what we're told over and over again. So we have to ask the question this morning, are we seeking honor? Do you know that we're in, we're in opposition to God's ideal there? Are we seeking to be noticed? And I mean, that, that's, not, that's not the approach. So here's the question. How do you treat those who serve you? I think I'm asking questions here as we close um, to, to really kind of make it super practical. Okay, you go in a restaurant, right? And there's a server. How do you treat that person? Hopefully with honor and respect and appreciation and gratitude. Anybody here ever been a server in a restaurant besides me? Did you get a lot of that? Probably not. And you know what's sad? I hear from a lot of servers that, and I don't know if it's an expectation not realized, but... Sunday afternoon seems to be the worst time for gratitude and gratuity. That ought not be. You know, one of the things that I love, so our men gathered yesterday morning at Dodo's, had a marvelous time talking about dwell. And we took, we, we, we took up a section of table for 10, you know, for two and a half hours. I mean, that's a long time for, especially in a diner that's only open till two, Right. But you know what you know what Rose, the owner of the restaurant, said to me? You guys are so generous with our girls. You love us. They love having us there. They were willing to give us close a whole section for us yesterday if we wanted if we needed the whole thing. Because they 
they experience gratitude, they, they, they experience love, they experience generosity. Guys, how do you treat those that are in a mode, uh, that, that are in a lot to serve? It really depicts a lot about our own hearts. I remember we would, um, we would serve at St. Vincent's before they prohibited us from pre- praying and teaching the scriptures and all of that, sadly. But um, every, every month we would go and we were the only church that, and, and this, is, this is just because this is what the word calls us to do. We were the only church that actually had them sit down instead of cattle call. You know, they sat down and we served them. Like, you know, the ladies belt made homemade desserts and we did a, you know, hot meal with, with a partnership with restaurants. And, but, but everybody, we served them. And they came in going, you know, standing in line, you know. And, and the thing that I love the most is, you know what, what means the most to them is that they're treated with dignity. Like they're, that they're a person and that you care about, like, how are you? Like, you know, and, and, and the posture of being a servant to them. Do you think they ever get that? Where, where people are actually, you know, not looking through them, but at them? How do you treat those that are less fortunate than you or possibly serving you? Because when you've done it unto the least of these, Jesus says, you've done it unto me. And so, you know, I think that's clarifying. Jesus washed feet and called us to do the same. Here's a challenge. Whose feet can you wash this week? And I'm going to make this challenge. I'm going to up the ante here a little bit. Is there someone that you have kind of maybe a little bit of a prideful posture towards because of the way they've treated you or the way they've acted or just their pride or posture? I want to challenge you to wash their feet. I want you to wash the feet. And what, what listen, you're going to freak people out if you, go, if you start grabbing feet and pulling socks off. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about here. Okay, so I'm talking about, you know, foot putting yourself in a humble posture that does something for somebody that is blown away just by the, the humility of your effort and your, your grad, your, your posture. Um, but find somebody that, 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 you know, you already know, I think like the spirit's already telling you a name, like the person that that's going to be the hardest for you to do to go wash their feet this week, go do something that is extravagant and, puts you in a posture of serve that uh, depicts humility. Um, And don't worry about the outcome results. Don't worry about how this makes you feel. The last thing you want to do, Veronica, you always make me cry. Stop doing those things. You're so sweet. Um, But like, let's, let's always, let's always do things for the glory of God, right? One of the things I I just want to kind of caution us in this moment, like, You know, Matt brought this up this morning and it was such a great insight. Like in Matthew 6, Jesus talks about three acts of of obedience, prayer, fasting, and giving. And he basically, the common denominator that he states in these things is make sure you do it in secret. Whether it's your prayer, don't don't go fasting and go, oh, look, I'm fasting. You know, he says, wash your face. Uh, you know, like, you know, and it's like, don't give and, and then go, hey, guess what I did today? You know, like give without your left hand knowing what your right hand is doing because because your goal is that they see God in it, that they see him, that he gets the glory. A couple of statements that just came to me as, as, as I was finishing up preparation on this. Please, please listen in. Lack of humility keeps us from building others up and seeking the best for someone else. That's why Paul said that in Philippians 2. Pride will always keep you from building others up and loving people in sacrificial ways. So the lack of humility keeps us from building others up and seeking the best for someone else. False humility is masked masked pride attempting to demonstrate character. Does that make sense? False humility, like... You've seen that, right? I mean, but it's masked pride trying to demonstrate character that isn't true, that isn't native to that heart or life. 
Here's another thought. Greatness seeks to serve for the glory of God and the benefit of others, wanting nothing else in return. Nothing. Like if God gets glorified, yes. And then this. The path to genuine humility is finding our identity and confidence in the Lord. When you know whose you are and his love for you, it sets you free to serve. And I know I've said that in various ways this already this morning, but that's, that is the, that's the release. That's the, that's the secret. That's the key is, is knowing who you are in Christ because now you're set free to serve. So a couple of questions as the worship team comes. How do you choose your seat? Because that's the practical context of this message, right? How do you choose your parking space? When you go to a restaurant or board a plane or you walk into a waiting room, like I think a lot of times all of our choices and qualifiers are based on what do I want? What's most comfortable for me? What will suit me? And listen, I'm looking at faces that I know this isn't true of because I'm I marvel at what God has done in many of your lives. And I know, but I love what Alex said this morning in pure honesty. He said, I tend to do that here, but I don't do it out there. I love that. I love that. And you know what, guys? Um, it's more profound out there. It's more, it's, it's more distinguishable. It's more counter nature and culture out there. And, and again, this is, this is a response that requires the hard work of the Holy Spirit and us just surrendering to the desire to be obedient and trusting him for the power to see it to fruition. So my final, my final thought here or thoughts here is, how do you choose a parking space and are you mindful of others when making choices? Are you mindful of others when making choices? And then my challenge to us as we stand to, to worship, would you stand with me? Um, let's sit down. Not literally, you just stood, but, but I, I, I want to I I challenge you that every time you sit down going forward, would you be mindful of this biblical principle that we should truly in life sit down so that others might be elevated encouraged, brought near. That's the heart of God. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.